be sure to follow us on Instagram at criminalafpod or click on the link in the episode description. In 1990, a college town was in a panic as five students were brutally murdered over a four-day span, and in some cases, intentionally mutilated and posed for investigators. During their investigation, they came upon a campsite not far from the campus. Among the items collected was a tape recorder with this ominous message. Now I got the sky for, for a blanket, the earth for a bed, rumpled up clothes for a pillow. It's okay. It's just the way it is. Take the good with the bad. Well, I'm going to sign off for a little bit. That's something I'm to do. I'm Dave Jari. I'm Garrett Gorder. And this is Criminal as Fuck. What's good, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Criminal AF. Once again, I'm Dave Jari, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Garrett Quarter. How are we doing? So what's going on, Garrett? Nothing much, buddy. Long time. Long time. Yeah. You know, yep. we, we had a Thanksgiving week, and then, for those of you guys who don't know, uh, Dave had a loss, in a unexpected loss in his family. Yes. And my condolences to you and your entire family. Thank you. Um, but we're back. We're back. We we're excited, back. and uh, we're ready to get to know a little about the Gainesville Ripper. Oh, there we go. You know, I want to thank everybody for their condolences over the passing of my brother. You know, it's so appreciated. You know, it came suddenly and caught us off guard, and we had to take some time to settle. You know, his estate and ensure his daughter was taken care of. And which I got to give a shout out to my sister and my brothers for pulling together during this time. You know, they were all amazing. So thank you all again from the bottom of my heart, and it's an amazing feeling to know that there's so many people out there who truly care from all walks of life around the world, and I am truly blessed. Beautiful. Yes. Beautiful. But we're back, and uh, guess what? We got another we got another criminal. Oh, the... <laughs> yes. I love him. Yes, just keep stacking up. I love him. Uh, Jessica Lloyd, you are now a member of an elite group of criminals who support the number one one podcast in America. Hey, guess what? <laughs> if we get to a hundred, yes. listen, I'm telling this right now. Yeah. If we get to a hundred Patreon members, right? Yes. At the hundredth Patreon member, I'm taking Polaroids of Jave Jari like Jeffrey Dahmer did his victims. Oh, and we're going to yeah. post them on the Patreon. All right, guys. So get to, I'm going to pose you <laughs> in weird positions. <laughs> post them on, just get us to a hundred Patreon. I got to start, I got to start stretching, man. I don't know if I'm that flexible, man. That'll be the hundred. All right. So, uh, Jessica, thank you so much. You can become a criminal as well by joining our Patreon at patreon.com backslash criminal AF or click on the link in the episode description. Now, for everybody who's just joining us for the first time, guess what this is? This is a true crime podcast, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There will be talk of murder and rape and torture and assault and pretty much any crime that would haunt you nightmares at any given moment. There will be detailed descriptions of said events and there will be vulgar language. Like cunt. Oh, <laughs> No, 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 no. Yes. I take that back. No. I take that back. I take that back. No, that's no. <laughs> now here's, here's the thing. Like our Aussie and and I know that's why I said it. And you Great know, Britain huge yeah. support in Australia right yeah. now, boys. You know, now in America, that's ooh, I can't yeah. believe you can't ooh, believe that, said that it word. Cut, it cut. It cut for me. Yeah, cut deep. I know. Like it's forbidden to say cunt. But See, I, it's still cut. It I, cut for me. <laughs> I love the. I love how willy nilly they are too. I know. Oh, you fucking cunt. Yeah, fuck yeah, you cunt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, now, I understand that Criminal AF is not for everyone, but we just ask that you at least give it a listen. If it's not for you, hey, thanks for checking it out. See ya. But if it is, welcome, welcome to, to the, the debauchery. debauchery. 
All right, everybody. Because we are talking about the Gainesville Ripper today. Yes. It's only appropriate that the Florida man of the day has to come from Gainesville. Well, it has to. And I, and I have to say, we've been doing this for a couple episodes now. Yeah. And this has got to be the craziest. I mean, this is the most Florida thing that you can ever do. You can Anybody can bring out a gun, a knife, but a true the Gainesville. Penis. <laughs> the penis. Yeah. Whatever. A true. Flicking the bick. A true Gainesville, Florida man. Brings out a flamethrower. Oh, shit. Gainesville, Florida. A Florida man angry over his neighbor's parking habits sprayed fire from a commercial flamethrower towards a car filled with three teenagers inside. What the... Andre Abrams, 57, of Gainesville, is facing three counts of felony aggravated assault with a deadly weapon without intending to kill. How? How? <laughs> According to our court records, he posted a $15,000 bond last week and awaited a decision whether prosecutors will formally file criminal charges. The mother of one of the teens, Ashley Ganey, said a- Abrams frequently sprayed the flamethrower to scare off guests at her home. <laughs> so this was a, a, a what? It's just the crazy neighbor with the flamethrower next yeah, door. Yeah, yeah. Ganey's daughter, Natalia <laughs> Baker, 16, fled the car with her friends as Abrams continued to spray flames towards them. Wow. Wow. Now, was he part? Uh, were they parked in his parking spot? I mean, I, the way I'm looking at it, it's yeah. probably some condominium right. apartment complex. Yes. You get one spot. We are entitled to one, yeah, one prime spot, then you have the guest spot. 4C is it. here, 4B is here. Right. And her friends probably pulled up, pulled in his spot. And, oh, <laughs> I'll tell you so what. you know what? He came out with the flamethrower, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, like, where I live, like, we don't have assigned spots. Yeah. But I have... A preferred spot. Yeah, it's your, it's, you, f- you feel like it's your like, spot. I'm entitled to that spot. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So usually I'm pretty lucky to get that spot. It fucks up your whole day. It's right on the end, right in front of my place. I freaking love it. I look right out my window. There's my spot. All right, you know what? I'm going on Google right now. We're going to figure out how to get a flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to teach this motherfucker. I'm going to go out there one day. I'm going to be like, listen here, motherfucker. Find your own damn spot. <laughs> Oh, and if uh, in case anybody else is interested in purchasing this, it is it is the XM42 light flamethrower, which shoots flames up to 20 feet, and is manfa- manufactured by X Products LLC of Vancouver, Washington. It sells online for about nine hundred dollars. Nine hundred, really? That's not bad. Yeah. Now, see, now it makes more sense why they were like debating whether or not to. So it's it was probably more of a novelty flamethrower than a. Yeah. Yeah, but it's still shooting 20 foot flames. Right. Could still hurt someone. You can still hurt somebody. Yeah, it's 20 feet. It's 20 feet. But wild, wild Florida man. That's the, what a way to to settle parking disputes. Oh yeah, I could see myself doing that 100. percent But you know, Gainesville's a wild place. Yeah. And yeah. just like we're about to learn in this story, mm-hmm. it gets even wilder. Yes, it does. So we're gonna do a little something different in this episode. You know, while we were off for for a few weeks here, I went out and I did my own purchase. I got us a time machine. A time machine? Yes. I got us a time machine so we can actually go back to the years of the murders of the stories that we're actually talking about. Oh, I like it. All right? Yeah, 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 So we have what what I named the Studio Chloroform Time Capsule. Okay? Wow. Yes. Yes. You were up all night thinking about that one, built. I built it myself. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I got an erector set and some <laughs> studio chloroform time capsule. 
How do you think I got here? <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and jump into the studio chloroform time capsule. I love it. Wait, 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 wait. Where are we going? We're going back to 1990. Do I got to bring my starter windbreaker set? Bring your starter. Yes, All bring right. your starter set. I think I got a Bulls windbreaker upstairs. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Yes, bring your starter. And uh, don't forget your sunscreen. Because there was, there was no ozone in the 90s. Oh, that's true. Courtesy, that's true. courtesy of Aquanet. All right, so we're going to punch in our coordinates, and here we go. Studio chloroform time capsule. So stupid. And here we are. What's that? What's that smell? Smells like an overabundance of Drakkar. Oh, I forgot everybody wore this. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we were thinking. And I keep, I don't know about you, Dave, but I keep making noises when I'm moving. <laughs> <laughs> they can hear me coming. <laughs> your corduroy pants? No, they're my windbreakers. Oh, your windbreakers? <laughs> <laughs> How am I supposed uh, to be a sneaky guy? <laughs> we used to call them scratchy pants. Scratchy pants? Yeah. Uh, that's a very generic way yeah. to say it. Yeah, well. All right, so let's talk about 1990 before we dive into the murders. So 1990. Yes. I was born 1991. Oh, were you? Yeah. I was a junior, sophomore in high school. So the demolition of the Berlin Wall began in June of 1990. Let's off. Tear down that wall. <laughs> a worldwide ban on the legal trade of ivory is introduced. While this is a great initiative and may have saved tens of thousands of elephants. It's true. The ban of the ban on ivory sent the price to the roof on the black market. Of course. And still today, roughly 20,000 elephants are killed by poachers for their tusks. The first ground connection since the Ice Age was established between the United Kingdom and France, 40 meters below the English Channel seabed. Actually, I, I, I believe we have actual footage of that historic event. What's your name? What? What is your name? Tony! Fuck you, Tony! Well, that was awkward. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> apparently there's still some bad blood going on there. I'm not sure. The infamous Hubble telescope was placed into orbit by the crew of the Space Shuttle Discovery, bringing us decades of mesmerizing pictures of our surrounding universe. In other space news, the Ulysses spacecraft was also launched in 1990. Its mission was to probe Uranus. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't expecting that. I just... <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kidding. It was it was launched to study the sun's magnetic field. But imagine how hilarious it would be if it was sent straight to Uranus. That'd be great. And probed it. When are we going to probe Uranus? I don't know. I, I, could, I could do Uranus jokes all day long. Oh, man. All right. In Switzerland, Tim Berners-Lee publishes a formal proposal for a little something we now know as the World Wide Web. His outline plan for a system that would use hypertext, web pages, and web servers to share documents and other media easily over the internet for science and educational purposes. Or as we know it, porn. Yes. 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 Lots and lots of porn. Billy, what's taking you so long in the bathroom? I'm doing science, Mom. God! 
Leave me alone. Once, once, once Billy got AOL, it was over. Like, oh, yeah. It was over. <laughs> <laughs> Took forever with the dial-up. Imagine that poor sucker who got his video cut out right when somebody called the, home, the house, too. <laughs> he was halfway through. Yeah. He's like, no! God! Oh, I gotta switch over to the Cosmopolitan. <laughs> Dude, my mom's pop Cosmos. You know what Cosmopolitan magazine Yeah, yeah, of course. Was? Oh, yeah, my mom's. My mom's Cosmos <laughs> mags. They got worked over. I'll tell you what. <laughs> And then he had, to, never mind. And then he had like the National Geographic's. What? That's crazy. What? That's I've heard many people say that. Like, oh, well, you couldn't just. It was there. That's what you had to use. What you had to use. Yeah. We had the Cosmopolitan magazines. We had National Geographic's, and then we had the Sears Roebuck catalog. They used to come in. You know what's crazy? You know what's crazy about that statement? Yeah. And I've heard. It's not just you. I've heard. That's what many people we had say. To survive this. like that back then. I'm, I'm, I think of it from the other uh, aspect. Yeah. I think of that that National Geographic photographer, right? Yeah. Braved mountains, yeah. tsunamis, yeah. right? All these crazy, you know, bugs, mosquitoes the size of a cat, yeah. and then they finally get to this indigenous tribe, right? And yeah. they take these stunning, beautiful pictures, right? Yeah. They post them, it goes public, it, you know, trying to bring awareness to these indigenous people. All for and then all these American guys yeah, are just, just sitting here flipping through pages, smack smacking yeah. meat, smack material. That's all it was. <laughs> It's like thank you, thanks, buddy. Thanks Jesus. for <laughs> thanks for endangering death to satisfy my yeah fourteen year old urges. Hey, I guess you got to use what you got to use. Yeah. All right. So uh, also in 1990, opposition parties were legalized in South Africa, leading to the election of Nelson Mandela as leader of the African National Congress, and the legendary Margaret Thatcher announces her resignation as British Prime Minister on November 28th, 1990. In entertainment, The Simpsons aired for the first time. Wow. Mm -hmm. And the Sci-Fi Channel began transmitting over cable television. Popular movies of 1990 include Home Alone, Ghost, Dances with Wolves, Pretty Woman, and Edward Scissorhands. Popular musicians from that year include Kylie Minogue, Depeche Mode, Phil Collins, Vanilla Ice, and Millie Vanilli, whose popularity became to a screeching halt when it was discovered that the pop duo were actually lip-syncing. Like I'm in love, girl. That's a good song. So in love, girl. Girl, you know it's true. I'm even doing a fucking dance. <laughs> that, I'll tell you what. 90s it, had some great, oh yeah. great music. Like, I to this day, yeah. I still, like, that's a, a 90s playlist beats everything. 80s, it's up there. Yeah. But 90s music, there was well, just some bangers. That soft rock, those soft rock songs were amazing. Oh yeah. Amazing. Michael Bolton. Yeah. Used to belt him out. Uh, American Psycho ruined uh, Phil Collins for me, though. American Psycho? Yeah, it ruined Phil Collins for oh, me. Oh, yeah. Because every time I hear a Phil Collins song, I just, think, just of think of him Bateman back. just, like, doing the thing. <laughs> doing In the 1963. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like his first album, but this one really swings. <laughs> I, I, I Every time I hear Phil Collins or him looking in the mirror, kissing his arms and shit. All right. <laughs> All right, so the average price of a new home in 1990 in the U.S. was $123,000 oh on average. Oh, God. And average household income was 28900 The average cost of gas was $1.34 per gallon, <laughs> which you used to fill up your brand new Isuzu Rodeo. An Isuzu Rodeo. Which was purchased for 12500 <laughs> Brand new, off the lot. What was your first car? A 1986 Mercury Lynx. Thing was probably badass. Oh, dude. <laughs> Had a rusted outdoor. 
when half of my fucking seat was broke, I was like leaning back, like I had the I had an automatic gangster lean when I was driving. Yeah, because my seat was broke. Because you had to. <laughs> I had no choice. <laughs> oh man! All right, the population of Florida in 1990, where we will be discussing today, was 12 million 937 thousand. There were 978 thousand cases of property crime and 160 thousand 900 cases of violent crime, of which were 1,379 murders, 6,781 rapes, 53,000 robberies, and 98,000 aggravated assaults, making Florida the number one most dangerous state in the U.S. Florida's wild. Oh, yeah. It was wild back then. Wild. Wild now. <laughs> All right. Now that we have a good idea of what's going on in 1990, let's talk about a grisly murder spree that occurred in Gainesville, Florida. Five young co-eds were brutally murdered and tortured. Most of the victims were raped and posed after death to inflict a truly horrific crime scene. So, without further ado, here is Chapter 1 of the Gainesville Ripper. Hollywood has been known to take true crime stories and turn their tales into big-screen cult classics. Movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Psycho were loosely based on Ed Gein. Gein was also the inspiration, along with Ted Bundy and Gary Michael Heidnick, for the movie The Silence of the Lambs, with Gein wearing their skin, Bundy using a cast to attract his victims, and Heidnick kept his captives in a basement. There was also Monster, starring Charlize Theron, based on Eileen Warnos. Arguably, the movie with the largest cult following depicts a killer in a black gown, a ghost face, and a large knife who goes around killing young teenagers. The movie Scream quickly became a fan favorite with the use of popular actors of the time, like Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, and David Arquette. What most don't know, however, is that Scream is based off an actual serial killer who over a four-day period in 1990 around the University of Florida raped, stabbed, and mutilated five college students. He would be known in the media as the Gainesville Ripper, a transient new to the area who had a campsite in the woods not very far from the university campus. Danny Rowling wasn't always destined to be a serial killer. While much of his childhood is unknown, we do know some of his story growing up. He was born in Shreveport, Louisiana in May of 1954, the son of 19-year-old Claudia and James Rowling, a police officer and decorated Korean War veteran. By the age of one, Rowling's father, who may have had PTSD and other undiagnosed mental illnesses, was beating him the first time because he wasn't crawling correctly. His father would continue his daily beatings of him, his siblings, and his mother all throughout his childhood. His mother would take Rowling and his siblings to escape the abuse, but it was never for long. She would always return. As a child, Rowling would often run away and camp out in the woods. He would commit petty crimes to get by when he was on his own, and when he failed third grade due to truancy his mother had a nervous breakdown. He was brought in to meet with the school counselor, and Rowling was described as suffering from a severe inferiority complex. When he turned 11, 
his mother attempted suicide by slitting her wrists, and in turn, was committed to a mental hospital. Without the perceived protection of his mother, Rowling soon found himself becoming dependent on drugs and alcohol. He tried to rid his demons by devoting himself to his Pentecostal church. When he was 14, he was caught by a neighbor peeping into his daughter's window. When his father found out, Rowling received his worst beating to date. He ran away again, quit going to school, and when he became of age, he enlisted in the Air Force in 1972. The Air Force didn't offer much reprieve for Rowling, as after two years, he was discharged after being caught several times using LSD. His commanding officer described him as being weak, timid, and lacked the maturity required to be in the military. When he returned home, he found a job and married a woman named Omather Halko. For the first time in his life, things appeared to be normal. He would once again become active in his church, and he and his wife soon welcomed a baby girl. As with his life up to this point, happiness had an expiration date. Rowling would soon begin beating his wife. She filed for divorce after a violent and heated argument in which she claimed Rowling threatened to kill her. The divorce was the tipping point, or as the term the FBI likes to use, the stressor. Rowling would never see his ex-wife and daughter again, and went on a crime spree involving burglary, rape, and at one point, was suspected of murder. By May of 1990, a long overdue confrontation between father and son occurred. During the brutal fight, Rowling pulled out a gun and shot his father in the stomach and face. Although his father survived, he lost an eye and a ear from the gunshot. So, you know, we, we, talk, we talk about this in a lot of other episodes, you know, we look at the child version of these people compared to their adult version. And the child version of Danny Rowling had no fucking shot in hell of being a normal person. What did it say? His first beating was at one year, one years old because yeah. he couldn't even, he didn't crawl correctly? What the fuck? Crazy. You know what I mean? Anyway, yeah, he had a shitty childhood. And things seemed to pick up a little bit when he ended up getting married, but... How, the, speaking of childhood, the, mm. one of the main red flags, too, in your story, he got brought into the principal for being truent in third grade. How do you... It's your responsibility. It's a third grader. How are you late to school? How are, and then he gets in trouble for it. Yeah. What? Yeah. You got to make sure the kid gets to school. Yeah. He's in third grade. Well, you're late again. You're late whap, again. Whap, whap. Oh, you didn't get me to school. Yeah, I was watching cartoons. Yeah. So, yeah, so things started picking up a little bit once he got married, but his past caught up with him. And he started beating the shit out of his wife. 1977, at the age of 23, Rowling was in a downward spiral after his wife left him. He came across a woman who closely resembled his wife. He followed her, and when the moment was right, he attacked and raped her. He was never caught for this rape, and for the next decade, his petty crimes would turn into several armed robberies. His spree would cross state lines from Louisiana to Mississippi, Alabama, and into Georgia. I, I think it's funny how, you know, when you're doing bad, too. You just devote yourself to Jesus Christ. I'm going to go to church. I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to be saved. Come on, dude. You know damn well he was in there just struggling to get, like... Oh, yeah. 
get through his day. And two, on top of that, uh, witnessing your mom try attempt to kill herself yeah. at 11 years old is probably pretty traumatic, too. I would say. I would say, yes. Especially in a manner the way she like the way she did it. All right. Yeah. So Rowling was... He was in and out of prison during his, during his time in his later years and would constantly try to escape when imprisoned. When Rowling finished his last prison stint in 1989, he returned to Louisiana, and not long after, a uh, family was found murdered. Uh, 55-year-old William Grissom was at home preparing dinner with his daughter, Julie, who was 24, and his 8-year-old grandson, Sean, when a masked man broke into their apartment. The assailant quickly stabbed and killed William and Sean, and then turned his attention to Julie, who was raped, stabbed, and was found with bite marks on her breasts. The killer also posed Julie's body in a pornographic position. There were no arrests for the murders of the Grissom family, although Shreveport police had their suspicions. So, as you will see, there is a pattern that began with this murder. He posed her the same way I'm going to pose you if we get to 100 Patreon oh, members. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 I'm <laughs> <laughs> we gotta be serious, Dave. Come on, uh, calm down, calm down. Right. We're telling a story here. We're gonna tell a story. <laughs> uh, talk about a, a come to blows too. The confrontation between his dad. He was just a young little boy. He was getting his ass whooped. But yeah. he, by the time after that spree of rape, murder, and all that other stuff, he came back to his dad like, "What's up?" Yeah, He's like, I'm a grown man yeah. now. My balls dropped. What's up? Uh, yeah, that's that's a what a way to end your uh, relationship with your father. It's a culmination of years, years and years of pent up, yeah. fucking rage yep. and anger, and you know my life is turned yeah. to my shit. My wife left me. Fuck yep. my dad. Yep. You know my life is shit. I'm my mom tried to kill jail. herself. Fuck yep. my dad. It's because he left her. Exactly. Everything was probably every little thing that went wrong in his life was probably because of my fucking dad. Yep. And it just came to blows, and, and to shoot your to shoot your dad in the face takes takes some crazy balls. I mean, I, not even balls in a good way. I, I shouldn't even say well, balls. We're lo- we're looking at it as like you know you're thinking like if you did that to your dad or if I did that to my dad, you know it's a totally different situation. Of course, you know with him, he's looking at his father as like the biggest fucking piece of shit on the yep. fucking face of the earth, yep. and the sole reason behind all of his fuck ups in his life. Yep, you know what I mean. So, I probably would have fucking blasted him, too. You say that. No, you wouldn't. I do say that. You wouldn't. You're a nice guy, Dave. You're a nice guy. (laughs) All right, so we'll go into uh, Chapter 2, where Danny Rowling escalates his brutality. Wanted for the attempted murder of his father. Rowling ran from Louisiana and found himself in Sarasota, Florida, and then the home of Janet Frake. Janet, planning a night in, went out to the video store and grabbed a 12-pack of beer, which, as we will discuss, would turn out to be the best decision of her life. She returned to her two-bedroom home, and approximately two hours later, Rowling slipped in through the bedroom window. He attacked Janet in her bathroom with his hunting knife, and then bound and gagged her with duct tape. She recalls her attacker being in a fit of rage as he raped her, and told her that he was going to keep raping her all night. Instead, at about 1.30 in the morning, Rowling decided it was time to leave. 
As he was stepping out the door, he asked Janet if she would be kind enough to wait 10 minutes before she called the cops and then vanished into the night. Late August of 1990 found thousands of students arriving at the University of Florida and Santa Fe Community College for the start of the new school year. Rowling was setting up his campsite in a wooded area not far away during his time as well, where he recorded himself singing and playing songs, as well as recording a personal message to his family. For first-year students, Sonia Larson, 18, and 17-year-old Christina Powell, this was an exciting time in their life, being that it was their first time living away from home, settling in at the Williamsburg apartment complex. Sonia, a popular but quiet girl, loved softball and had goals of becoming a teacher, and Christina had dreams of building affordable housing units for low-income families. On August 23rd, hours after just moving into their off-campus apartment, Sonia and Christina walked to a nearby department store to purchase a few items for their new home. This is when the two teenagers caught the eye of Danny Rowling. He followed the girls to see where they lived and waited for them to fall asleep. Carrying duct tape, a screwdriver, a 9mm handgun, and marine-style K-Bar knife, Rowling entered their apartment and found Christina asleep on the couch. He stayed there for a moment, staring at her, watching her sleep. He then snuck past Christina and made his way to Sonia's bedroom. There, he pounced. He stabbed Sonia in her upper chest and quickly bound and gagged her with duct tape to muffle her screams. He continued stabbing as Sonia tried to fend him off until she succumbed to her wounds. Rowling went back out to Christina, bound her with duct tape, savagely raped her, and then killed her. Sonia and Christina were found two days later after their parents made repeated attempts to reach them to no avail. So Janet Frake, she was an avid follower of true crime mysteries and decided that there was one of two ways she would survive Rowan's repeated violent assaults. She could either fight back against the six foot two lunatic or remain calm and try to humanize herself. Smart. So luckily she chose the latter. So when there was a lapse in the attack, Janet offered him some of the beer that she had purchased earlier. And in that moment, Rowling went from a violent, raging madman to being calm and relaxed. He asked Janet if, if she would mind if he removed his mask, but Janet declined because she didn't want to see his face. Wow. Yeah. That, that's actually pow- that's powerful. Yeah. That's powerful. And it was almost like Janet had become his girlfriend as Rowling would would sing and open up about his childhood. And Janet actually reciprocated and told told him about her troubled upbringing. But this was just all farce. Yeah. You know? Like, she made up an entirely fictitious story in order to make Rowling feel like they related. A complete fight to survive. Mm-hmm. You know, if I fight, a complete fight to survive, but not in a, in a completely other way. Right. It's amazing. He actually said to her, he's like, you know, you would really like me if the circumstances were different. Yeah. Makes it goes to show you that these guys just want to be listened to. Yeah. They just want to be baby. Yeah, they want to be hugged and you know. <laughs> they just need somebody to listen to them, man. Yeah. 
So yeah, so rolling, you know, he, you know, I said in the story, you know, he asked her to wait ten minutes. No, if she would be kind enough to wait ten minutes before she called the police, which is I don't know, but yeah, he that, like completely did a one eighty. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, that whole scenario it reminds me so much of uh, Marilyn Manson's interview with um about after the Columbine shooting when he was on uh, who was that the fucking Jerry Springer back in the. Jerry Springer? No, it was back in the the nineties when it was uh, uh, what was his name? He was like a conservative. I don't know. It was oh, Marilyn Manson. Uh, Donahue. Donahue. <laughs> Phil and then, Donahue. Yeah, and, and Donahue. That's a blast. Donahue was like you know coming after Marilyn and all that stuff, and he was like ugh, I forgot the when he was like he was coming at Marilyn like you did this. Blah blah blah, and he's like, those kids did that because nobody listened to them. I forgot. Oh, what? And he asked, what would you tell those two boys? Mm. And he's like, I wouldn't tell them anything. I'd listen to them. You know what I mean? It was like that's that's the same situation that I uh, like I take from that. Yeah. Like I just I wouldn't tell them anything. They've been told every, everything. They've been told. Yeah. I think I just would listen to them. Yeah, that makes sense actually. Yeah. yeah. So then Rolling moves on to uh, gets his little campsite there and just outside of University of Florida. And he sees, you know, Sonia and, and Christina walking to the store. It's their first night in their new apartment. They're both freshmen. Oh. First time on their own. Walking to the store to get some, you know, goods or whatever for the for the new place. And Rowling sees them walking, follows them home, and waits till that night. And he goes about his business. Now for Sonia for Sonia Larson, she was stabbed over twenty times with defensive wounds to her hands, arms, and legs. Now, now picture this. She tried to fend him off from a, from a deep sleep. Like, she was... You know, she was out. And next, and next thing you know, you have a knife stabbed into Plunged your chest. Into your you chest. Know? Now, the medical examiner stated that the attack lasted for about a minute before she bled out. And for Christina Powell, she was stabbed five times in her back after uh, Rowling forced her onto her stomach after raping her. Now, with both young girls dead, Rowling mutilated their bodies. He cut off Christina's nipples with a knife and laid them out beside her. He then washed their bodies and positioned them in a provocative pose, similar to Grissoms. <laughs> you know? Oh, I thought, <laughs> so, I thought you were going to bring up the Patreon. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> All right, keep going. So Sonia was found nude with her legs spread and draped over the edge of the bed. Her arms were above her head and her hair was fanned out. Christina was found in a similar pose. And before Rowling left the apartment, he took a shower and ate their food, an apple and an orange. And then just as quietly as he entered, Rowling fled the scene while anyone even noticed. And as you know, we'll talk a little bit. It was two days before they were found. You, you send your daughter to college, right? Mm-hmm. They're excited, excited to start their life alone. Brand new chapter. Right. Yeah. Brand new chapter in life. Exciting. You don't hear back from him for two days. Um, I'm, yeah. And then you go and pro- she probably, they probably walked in on that. Well, so they, they, they did a safety check. Yeah. Or a wellness check. Ba- basically what happened. I don't know if I talk about That's it. That's a parent's worst. Yeah. Freaking so the parents show up. Doors locked. Nobody's answering. Can't get a hold of them. So they got in touch with the apartment manager, and for some reason, the apartment manager was like, I'm not going to open the door. Let's wait for the police, you know? Yeah, I mean... So, but anyway, imagine going there two days prior, three days prior, whatever, fucking hugs and kisses and good luck, you're going to do great, you know, blah, 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 you got your whole future ahead of you, blah, and you're standing next, three days later, you're standing outside their apartment, and their dead bodies are inside. 
What in the actual Horrible. fuck? Oh, I couldn't. I can't even. I can't even like think about the pain that they were going through. <clears throat> so Roland doesn't stop there, though. And we will talk about his next victim, Krista Hoyt, in Chapter 3. Krista Hoyt, nicknamed Glowworm because of her warm and glowing smile, loved to cook, swim, go camping, play racquetball, and was studying chemistry with hopes of being a crime lab technician. On the morning of August 26th, Krista had left her apartment to run some errands. Rowling approached her door and had to use his screwdriver to pry it open. Once inside, he noticed that Krista wasn't home, so he waited in her living room for her to return. At around 11 a.m., Krista came home, and Rowling attacked her from behind, placing her in a chokehold. Now subdued, Rowling bound her wrist with duct tape and led her to the bedroom. There, he cut off all of Krista's clothes and savagely raped and murdered her. Krista, who worked for the Alachua County Sheriff's Office as a records clerk, failed to report for her shift that evening. Co-workers, realizing that this was unlike her, notified deputies to perform a wellness check. To their horror, they discovered a scene that was like any they have ever encountered. A deputy commented that it was apparent that whoever did this was definitely looking for notoriety. By the morning of the 26th, following the discovery of Sonia and Christina, the University of Florida was bustling with media coverage. Students were on high alert, and some were staying in groups. Following the discovery of Krista, less than eight hours after Sonia and Christina were found, parents began picking up their children and would enroll them elsewhere. For 23-year-old Tracy Paulus, she felt safe with her best friend and roommate, Manuel Taboda, also 23, who went by the name of Manny. Tracy was described as a breathtakingly beautiful woman. She was intelligent, full of poise and promise, was working toward becoming a lawyer, while Manny, a former high school football star, had dreams of visiting Italy and becoming an architect. In the early morning hours of August 27th, with Tracy and Manny both asleep, Rowling would pop open their sliding glass door and enter their apartment. He made his way to Manny's room first, and Rowling began stabbing him in his bed. This would not be an easy task. Manny ferociously fought back, and as Rowling would say later, he almost got me. The repeated stabbing ultimately got the best of Manny, however, as there were reportedly 31 stab wounds to his body. While the struggle was going on between Manny and Rowling, Tracy awoke and rushed to his room. Seeing what was going on, she ran to her bedroom and locked herself in. Rowling ended up kicking in the door, and while standing over Tracy, she asked, You're the one, aren't you? Yeah, I am the one, Rowling responded. In the morning, friends of Tracy and Manny went to the apartment manager of their building, saying that neither of them were answering their door. Considering the previous day's events, 
the manager went to the apartment and opened the door. He didn't have to open it very far to discover Tracy, naked, laying in a pool of blood just inside. There was also a large carrying bag next to her body. The manager quickly closed the door, locked it, and ran to call the police. So following Krista's rape, Krista Hoyt, Rowling forced her to lay on her stomach and stabbed her through her back, which actually ruptured her aorta. Rowling then fled the scene for his makeshift campsite just outside of campus. And when he returned to the campsite, he realized he couldn't find his wallet. So he returned to Chris's apartment. And while he was there, he wanted to do some final touches. Okay? So he decapitated her, put her head on a, on a bookshelf, and then positioned her on the edge of the bed to make it appear like she was sitting. And that's how they found her. Sitting on the edge of her bed. It's terrifying. Like, what? In, what? No. What? Ugh. So with Tracy and Manny... That, that's something out of a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. So with Tracy and Manny, the eerie part about, about this is that, as we discussed in the story, the bar manager opened up the door and saw Tracy's body you know, in the hallway there. Next to her was a large carrying bag. So he sees her body and he's like, oh, closes the door, locks it, calls police. Now, figure five, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, whatever, police should finally show up. And they go in there and they open the door. And they discovered that Tracy had been moved and was now laying on a towel. And to add to that, the large carrying bag that the apartment manager had witnessed was now missing. Now, the belief is that Rowling was still in the apartment when the apartment manager opened the door. <sighs> Dude, that just gave me fucking chills, wow. bro. I was like, oh. Imagine that shit. Wow. Good thing he just fucking shut the door and left. Yeah. Like, how many more people would have been murdered? You know what I mean? Oh, that's creepy. Because you had you had Tracy and Manny's friends there. Yeah. I don't know how many there were. Figure two or three or whatever. Then you had the apartment manager, mm-hmm. you know, and they all fucking walk in. And I I'm, I'm take it the bag was full of his tools. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. It's like the shining. Lock yourself in the bathroom. Dude's just kicking through. Here's Johnny. You're him, aren't you? Yeah, I'm him. I'm him. I got your fucking dick hard, but I can hear it in your fucking voice. You might, you might want to get this looked at. I'm telling you, if I start... Make no mistake. Make no mistake. If I fucking... The clitoris cannibal might be coming around fucking Norwich. I'm not going to lie. If I start fearing fucking there could be a serial killer, I'm looking at you, buddy. <laughs> so, yeah. So, those are like a couple of... You see it fucking like escalating, you know, yeah. especially with the de- decapitation. Yeah, he, he you know definitely I mean? came. He, he upped his ante right there. Yeah. And, you know, I, I can understand like, you know, whatever, you're crazy, you're, you're this, you're that, you know, mental health problems, whatever. Now, the notoriety was there. He just he wanted he the person to find him. knew yeah. exactly what he was yeah. doing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He That wasn't a like it wasn't like a get off thing like I like yeah. get off on posing bodies and stuff like that like right. a Dahmer or like you know whatever oh, yeah. it, no this 100% stage. he wanted the people to find him to be creeped he wanted the, them to get goosebumps when they walked in that right room. yep yep and for for it to get out into the press and yeah. you know like oh this guy's like you know he's, he's a madman and you know he gets off on that shit you know but we'll go into the demise of uh, Danny Rowling here in chapter 4 
Just as sudden as the murders began, they stopped. Police worked day and night trying to figure out who the man was behind this horror. They followed through on more than 6,000 leads, compiled 18,000 items of evidence, and identified a list of over 600 potential suspects. But DNA eliminated each one. Meanwhile, a little over a week had passed since the last murder. On September 7, 1990, an armed robbery had occurred inside a grocery store in Ocala, Florida, about 40 miles away. After a brief car chase, police arrested Danny Rowling. Ten days after being arrested in Ocala, Gainesville police received information from a woman named Cindy Jerichik, who recognized the murders in Gainesville as being similar to the murders of the Grissom family in Shreveport. The person of interest in that case was a man Cindy had gone to school with, Danny Rowling. There were similarities in the death of the Grissom family and the students in Gainesville. A look into Rowling's life showed that he had a knack for armed robbery. So detectives searched for robberies in the days surrounding the murders and discovered a bank robbery next to Krista Hoyt's apartment on the day of her murder. Police had chased the robber into the woods but lost track of him. With this new information, police went back to the wooded area and discovered a campsite. Among the evidence from the campsite, a ski mask with fibers linked to the murders of Tracy and Manny. A pubic hair belonging to Krista Hoyt was found in Rolling sleeping bag. Blood on Rolling's pants is that of Manny Taboda. They also found a recorder with audio tapes of him singing songs he wrote in the ominous message. Detectives learned that Rowling was in custody for the Alcala robbery and visited him to collect DNA. It was the perfect match. A year later, in November of 1991, after collecting enormous amounts of evidence and a confession, charges of rape and murder were added to Rowling. The case would continue another 16 years until October 25th, 2006 the day Rowling was scheduled to die. Moments before his execution, Rowling handed a note to his spiritual advisor, a note which detailed the murders of William, Julie, and Sean Grissom. All I gotta say is, uh, you know, whether your, uh, what your beliefs are on the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Sweet, sweet justice here at the end. And fantastic police work. This is one of the only stories where the killer didn't ruin it for himself. You know what I mean? It was just yeah. good police work that got this guy fucking caught. Mm-hmm. Down to the all the leads, you know, the background, the the thinking of going to armed robberies and stuff like that. Usually the dumbasses fucking give themselves in, turn themselves in. Right. Yep. After the murder of, of Tracy and Manny... Um, you know, they had like a, what did, what did the story say? Like uh, 600 potential suspects. See, 600 potential sub- suspects. Yeah. 18,000 pieces of evidence. Yeah. So they, they whittled it down to one person. And this one person was an 18-year-old University of Florida student named, named Ed Humphrey. Humphrey had known mental health issues. And he had recently been evicted from the same apartment complex as Tracy and Manny. He was brought in for questioning after he was caught. He was dressed in camouflage and waving a knife and threatening a resident in the same complex. Okay? Wild. He bore noticeable scars, which he said came from a car accident. 
So Humphrey was held on $1 million bond resulting from a previous assault on his grandmother. And while the police sorted through all the evidence to see if it led back to Humphrey, the media took it upon themselves to declare him the Gainesville Ripper. Problem is, he was cleared three weeks later when DNA results came back exonerating him. But the police withheld this information from the media, and Humphrey continued to be accused of these murders by the public. They wanted, yeah, they didn't want to let people know they don't, yeah. They didn't want to know that they they didn't have him, or the true killer to know that, like, they wanted him to think he was safe and, you know. Yeah. You know, hopefully he would he would slip up. Oh yeah, or or he gets upset like no, this fucking guy yeah. didn't do it. I did it. I did it. Man. I did it. I'm gonna write a strongly worded letter yeah. to the fucking police department <laughs> with my with my DNA on it. It's actually it's actually that's um, just adds to my point. Brilliant police work. Yeah. To whom it may concern. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, November fifteenth. Uh, 1991. My birthday! <laughs> That's your my, birthday? My actual date, ni- November 15th, 1991. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Well, on the day you were born, the grand jury of Alachua County indicted Danny Rowling for the serial murders. He was charged with five counts of first-degree murder, three counts of sexual battery, and three counts of armed burglary of a dwelling with a battery. On June 9th, 1992, Rowling entered a plea of not guilty on all counts. Then on February 15th of 1994, the day of his trial, Rowling changed his plea to guilty at all counts. The trial court accepted Rowling's plea after reviewing with him the factual basis for it and ruled him guilty on all counts. Now, penalty phase was held and the jury recommended that Rowling be sentenced to death for each murder by a vote of 12 to 0. The trial court followed the jury's advisory recommendation and sentenced Rowling to death for each homicide. Finding now we're gonna we're gonna talk about different things here. There's aggravating circumstances. Yep. There's statutory mitigating factors, and there's non-statutory mitigating factors. So basically, the uh, aggravating circumstances is basically this is what you did, and how you did it, and how gruesome and awful it was. And this is why you're going to get the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now the the mitigating factors kind of see if if there's like another reason why. Yeah, he checks did and this. balances. Checks for, and balances. For, yeah. You know what I mean. And and the court has to prove all of these circumstances, aggravating circumstances, mitigating factors. They have to prove it all in order to ha- have the death penalty. So they found four aggravating circumstances, or the reasons to accept the death penalty. And just four. Just four. Should be more, and they were applicable to each homicide. The first one was Rowling had been previously convicted of a violent felony. Mm-hmm. Okay. Second was each murder was cold, calculated, and premeditated. For sure. Number three was each murder was heinous, atrocious, and cruel. Yeah, I'd say. And each murder was committed while Rowling was engaged in the commission of a burglary or a sexual battery. I want to hear the balances now. Okay. <laughs> Uh, the trial court also found as statutory mitigating factors that Rowling had the emotional age of a 15-year-old. He committed the crimes while under the influence of extreme mental or emotional disturbance. As for non-statutory mitigators, the court found that Rowling came from a dysfunctional family where he suffered physical and mental abuse during his childhood, and this background contributed to his mental condition at the time of the offenses. Rowling cooperated with law enforcement officers by confessing and entering a guilty plea on all counts, 
thereby saving the criminal justice system time and expense. Okay, but the defense is going to say anything that they can to stop the death penalty. Correct. That's not, I mean... Well, we'll go into a little bit, because there's there's one. Uh, the third one was Rowling felt remorse for his actions. Yeah. <laughs> Rowling's family had a history of mental illness, and the fifth one was... Rowling's ability to conform his conduct to the requirements of law was impaired because of his mental illness. Okay, with these pros and cons weighed, the court decided that they would uphold the jury's recommendation of death. All right, now one thing that stood out to me, because obviously when you have a death penalty, there's going to be uh, appeals and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. There are numerous, lots of right countless, there. countless appeals, okay? But one thing that stood out to me was during Rowling's appeal regarding the aggravating factors. Now, Rowling argues that the trial court erred in finding the heinous, atrocious, or cruel aggravating circumstance as to the murder of Sonia Larson because there was no evidence that Sonia, who was attacked in her sleep, anticipated her death or otherwise endured, quote, extreme pain or prolonged suffering, unquote. That's crazy. Yes. That's actually crazy that that was their their defense on that. Yes. Wow. So basically... But she she was asleep. Yeah, she was asleep. Oh, fuck you. Yeah. The court sentencing order states, and this is a long quote, so bear with me. Sonia Larson was killed in her own bed by multiple stab wounds. The attack was characterized by the medical examiner as a blitz attack after which the victim would have remained alive for a period of 30 to 60 seconds. Despite the relative shortness of the event, the fact that many of the wounds were characterized as defensive wounds indicates that the victim was awake and aware of what was occurring. During all this time, the victim's mouth was taped shut so that she could not cry out. Okay? Contrary to Rowling's assertion that there was no evidence that Miss Larson endured prolonged suffering or anticipated her death, the record reflects the, the medical examiner testified that Miss Larson sustained defensive wounds on her arms during Roland's attack and was awake between 30 and 60 seconds before losing consciousness and dying. Okay. Moreover, Roland's statement to police on January 31st is consistent with the medical examiner's testimony in the trial court's finding. Roland told police he stabbed Miss Larson and put duct tape over her mouth to muffle her cries. He explained that he continued to stab her as she fought and tried to fend off his blows. Because the evidence in the record demonstrates that Sonia Larson was awake but disabled by a duct tape over her mouth while she struggled with her attacker, sustained some, several defensive wounds to her arms and leg, and did not die instantaneously. No, of course not. We find that the trial court properly found the heinous, atrocious, and cruel aggravator proved beyond reasonable doubt. Good. Okay? Yes, she was sleeping. You fucking woke her up yeah. with a knife to her fucking chest. Yeah. Okay? You didn't kill her right there. You could have fucking easily just went, whoop, done. You fucking stabbed her in the chest. She wakes up, and then you repeatedly stab her over 20 times while she's fighting you off. She knows she's being killed. She knows she's being attacked. She knows, yeah. obviously, and you know that she knows because you put fucking duct tape on her mouth so she you can so you can stop her uh, screaming. That, that it's, that's actually, all right, I know we have, you know, we have the best criminal justice system in the world. I will always say that. It's not the, it's not perfect. We have the best. Yeah. But the fact that there's all these little fucking red tape things that, that lawyers can do, yeah. that like, 
Like, if I went off as a, mm-hmm. as a, a, a regular person and I shot 200 people while they slept, yeah. I wouldn't get the death penalty because they would argue that, no, that person didn't suffer enough. Right. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's fucking wild. See, so yeah, my, my whole thing, and okay, here we go. We're going to go into like personal beliefs here as far as the death penalty. I believe that there are hundreds, maybe thousands, I don't know, of questionable death penalty killings, I guess you could say, where it may or may not have been the actual person responsible. Okay. Maybe hundreds. Maybe that's a lot. I mean, if we go back past 1950, there's probably way more than a thousand. Yeah. If you really like break o- over the scheme from from 18 eight, the eight, early 1800s to early 1900s, mm. there's a lot that we don't know about. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. How many how many vigilante justices that people? Right. Yeah, he stole my cow, mm. and they fucking. I'm, I'm not saying by by a court order, but yeah. just in general, yeah. there's way more than. Now, with that being said, if there is undeniable DNA evidence like no question whatsoever like your semen is inside of a dead woman or your skin cells are in her fingernails or like undeniably like you were there you were 100% the person who did it fuck the appeals fuck going through years of fucking court like if it's 100% concrete take them out to the fucking town square and fucking shoot them (laughs) Yes, but I, I see, I, I look at it from that perspective, and then I also look for it that at least they're being super thorough before. It, it, it goes hand in hand. It's like you, it's an emotional piece because you, right. you want that fucking guy to pay. Right. Right? No, but no. at the same time, right. it, it, the checks and balances are, and, and the, the length that they have to go to for the, the government to, kill, to take someone's life for yeah. a crime. Mm-hmm. It, you know. Right. Like, I don't think any death penalty case uh, should be decided on circumstantial evidence. Yeah, no, yeah, you know, like, of course not. Okay, your phone was pinged in this area at this time, you have no alibi, um, your car was witnessed, you know, a mile from the murder scene, but you know what I mean? Like, all, yeah, it was probably you, it was most likely you, but, but with DNA evidence, especially now, I mean, it's, there's no denying it. Yeah. You know? So why go through all that shit? You know, like especially with a confession too. Right. You have that and a confession. Well, what are we doing here? Yeah. So I don't know. That's my opinion on it. So Danny Rowling, hundred percent, should have been fucking drawn and quartered out in the fucking town square. I like tarred and feathered. Yeah, tarred yeah, and feathered. Tarred feathered. S- stoned to death. I also like the 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 poo canoe. The poo canoe. You never heard of the poo canoe? No. They back in the day, they would put a canoe right in the swamps of like Louisiana. Yeah. Like back, like Louisiana Purchase times. Yeah. Like way back, they would put Native Americans would do this too. Yeah. They would uh, tie you up, bound you up into a canoe, mm-hmm. fill the canoe with shit and berries and honey and whatever, yeah. a whole bunch of random stuff, and they just send the canoe out into the bog, and you would be alive. Well, you'd be infested with bugs and shit. Larva would, like, imagine that way, going out that way. Yeah. Yeah. That would suck. That's a a horrible way. But fitting for some of these guys. Yep. So Danny Rowling, he had numerous other appeals that were exhausted, and his date with death was set for October 25th, 2006. 
On the day of his death, uh, Rowling met from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. with his brother Kevin and a, mis- and a minister from his brother's Longview, Texas church. Rowling was then served his last meal of lobster tail, butterfly shrimp, baked potato, strawberry cheesecake, and sweet tea. Mm-hmm. Have we have we discussed? We haven't. Never, have we never discussed our, our last meal choices on this? We've done, I know we've done it at work, but I don't think we've ever done it on the podcast, right? I don't know. We have talked about. It. I don't know when we did, but yeah, we did. okay, never mind. Like I, mine would be shepherd's pie. Shepherd's pie. She- shepherd's you pie. You have one meal. Oh yeah. Before yep. you die, mm-hmm. and you pick shepherd's pie. Shepherd's pie loaded up with ketchup, dude. Mm, 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 mm. Listen, you, you're fine. What? Shepherd, you have you the your last day on earth. Yep. And you want a shepherd's pie. I'm gonna get a shepherd's pie. I'm gonna get a two liter bottle of Pepsi. Okay. Ice cold, ice cold Pepsi. You sound like one of these fucking guys on death yeah. row. Maybe uh, I don't know. what would I want for dessert? Some warm apple pie, so I can do an American pie on it. <laughs> <laughs> Get one last one in. <laughs> get, get, get one last one in. I, now I can't. I can't take credit for this. Yeah. But I've heard a genius site one mm. for your last. Uh, this goes out to Kirk Winslow, our, uh, our Oh, Winslow. Okay. Yes, yeah. yes. Yes. Our fellow coworker. He yes. said his last meal would be a McRib and a Shamrock Shake because they could never kill him because they don't make McRibs and Shamrock Shakes <laughs> in the same season, so you would never be able to kill him. <laughs> That's what I want. I want a McRib and a Shamrock Shake. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha, bitches, you'll never kill me. <laughs> can I Can I totally, like, blow that up? What? You can only have food that's prepared, that's available at the prison. That's not true. A lot of states do that. Oh, depending on the state, because yeah. what's his name got KFC? Oh, uh, Diddler there? Pogo the Clown? No, no, John Wayne Gacy. What was Gacy's? He had he had KFC. He, he owned a KFC. Yeah, it was K. I think it was KFC. I don't know though. I don't want to say. I think it's some. I don't. No, I don't think it's KFC. You don't think so? Uh uh-uh. uh. He, he owned a K- you know what? KFC. Franchise. We're gonna look it up. We're gonna look. J- Jamie, Jamie. Hey, our producers looking it up. Yeah, oh, wow. our producers. Top, top shelf, top <laughs> shelf podcast over <laughs> here. Top, Only the best. Yes, we have a crew of. <laughs> we have a crew of two people. <laughs> no, yeah. there's there's a sound engineer. There's a. <laughs> we, we got we got uh, Igor, the fucking camera switching guy. We got everything. <laughs> switching. I don't know. Guy. I don't know what high end podcasts over here do. John Wayne. I'm going to throw this out there, and it's kind of petty on my part. But there was this podcast, I'm not going to name names, but it just came out. They're like five episodes deep. Are we talking shit? We talking we're, we're podca- talking fucking we're talking shit. podcast no, shit. I've been doing this for since 2019, off and on, granted. But like, we do the writing, we do the research, we do the editing, we do the producing, we do like everything on top of our 60 hour a week job. 60? He, I did 84 hours last week. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. <laughs> and this podcast comes out five episodes in. They have state-of-the-art equipment. They have producers. They have writers. They have researchers. They have, like, how to... F- Talk that shit. Name him. Name him. No, Name him. I'm not going to. Name no. him. No. I like it. I like the drama. It must be nice to have just fucking... Whatever. Listen, and you know what's crazy? They're still not beating the number one true True crime crime podcast in the world. That's right. Talk that shit, boy. Talk that shit. And you are correct. It was KFC. Oh, yeah. yeah, Thank you. So it still stands. A McRib and a Shamrock Shake. (laughs) Bitch, you're not killing me. 
So you're gonna do all your murders in Illinois so you can get your so. McRib. So. And this is the last time they're making McRib, so this is the last go around for McRib. You think McDonald's would special order that? They'd be like, nah, fuck this guy. We'll bring you one. <laughs> yeah. We'll bring you one right now. Yeah. I'll give you a McRib right uh, I'll be like, God damn it. <laughs> All right. So after the meal, the, let's get back to this. <laughs> derailed, yeah, dude. This Don't even. Far. We went from fucking last meal to. To talking podcast shit. Being pissy at some fucking <laughs> podcast. But anyway. All right, so after the meal, the Reverend Mike Hudspeth was scheduled to spend noon until 4 p.m. speaking with Rowling through the bars of his cell. All right, Hudspeth, who was Rowling's designated spiritual advisor, he serves as the pastor of King's Temple United Pentecostal Church in Rowling's hometown of Shreveport, Louisiana. Now, this is when Rowling slipped the note to Hudspeth accepting responsibility of the deaths of the Grissom family. At 6 p.m., Rowling was led to the death chamber and strapped down on the execution table. When the curtains were pulled open, 47 people were there to bear witness. What do you think his last words were? Take a guess. I'm sorry. I apologize. I don't know. He's not remorseful, so I don't doubt it. I I wouldn't put it past him to say some biblical reference, only because it seemed like in his past, whenever he was in a dark place, he would go become a church guy. A, mm-hmm. a church of an outstanding member of the church. Yes. So I would wouldn't put it past. I'm going to say biblical biblical quote for two hundred for two hundred. Dave, close, close. His last words were five verses of a gospel, <laughs> which he sang for two minutes. <laughs> that's actually that's actually pretty cool. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That's actually pretty cool. There was no mention of remorse. There was no mention of the victims. There was no mention of the families. There was no mention of anything. He just laid on the table and sang, sang a song. holy, holy praise to God. Yeah, loser. At 6.13 p.m., Danny Rowling was pronounced dead. See ya. Yep. So that is the episode of the Gainesville Ripper. So before we go, if you like what you heard, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave us a review. And don't forget to become a criminal on Patreon. Visit patreon.com backslash criminal AF. There's five tiers, and you can donate as little as $2 a month to help the podcast. Just visit patreon.com backslash criminal AF. Links to our Patreon, PayPal, socials, merchandise, and more are in the episode description. Oh, there's a new merch. New merch. I was merch about store. to say it. New merch I in the merch store. New merch. There yes. is Criminal AF Christmas sweaters. Yes. Go get you some merch. Go get you some merch. Because I know I'm going to be wearing one for my ugly Christmas sweater party. <laughs> there's two of them. There's a, there's a welcome, to, welcome to the debauchery sweater. And there's also, there will be vulgar language. Like, fuck. I'm sure that'll go over well with Grandma. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, that'll do it for this episode. Signing off from Studio Chloroform. Keep your head on a swivel and take care till next time. See ya. Snake high, black leather.